Welcome, my friends. Welcome to my world. I'm your host, Kevin Rutherford. It is Tuesday, May 10th, and it is time for an episode of The Pit Politics in Trucking. So I try to avoid politics on my other shows. I might throw some in now and then, but I know a lot of people don't want to hear about it. And I get it. We hear politics everywhere anymore. Uh, It's nice to get a break from it. So our other shows, we're going to kind of stay away from it. But I can't stay away from politics. There's way too much going on. It has a huge impact on our businesses and our life. And I think it is something that we should talk about. I'm certainly going to. Uh, So that's what this show is for. This show is strictly politics. We will try most of the time to kind of equate that politics to your business, uh, your health, your money, things we talk about anyway. And Politics can certainly impact all of those things. We're seeing a lot of impact in our daily life from politics today. So we're going to be talking about it. We also have a, uh, a an announcement I'm pretty sure I can make um, that I, I talked about the fact that um, I'd really like to have a co-host on the show. I think politics... Uh, I could stand here and talk to myself all day, and you could listen if you want. We had some great calls last week, but I really think that when it comes to politics, having you know multiple voices and, and people putting in their opinions really helps. So I have invited uh, Stanford Graham to be my co-host. Um, so he's with us today. Also, John Hewlett is back with us today. Um, we had a great show last week. Uh, I have some things I want to talk about. And then um, we'll get into hearing from both John and Stanford. And then we'll go from there. If you do want to call in, you certainly can. Um, Political topics only. This is a special segment. So we are limiting calls and questions or comments to political topics, but any political topic doesn't have to be what we talk about at the beginning of the show. This show is wide open to anything you want to talk about that uh, relates to politics. So before I get to what I have today, I want to bring in uh, the two co-hosts for the day and uh, Stanford, welcome back. Hi, Kevin. Well, great to have you here. I'm uh, I'm excited about this. I'm excited about uh, doing a show together going forward. Yeah, this is. Uh, I appreciate the invitation. Hopefully, I can uh, I can add to some uh, some of the uh, rich soil that you're providing. Oh, I'm sure of it. Uh, I'm, content and conversation. Yeah, I'm sure of it. And uh, also, uh, it's great to have John. So, you know what? I'm just going to bring John in right now. We can all just start jumping in and talking over each other. That's uh, that's what we do sometimes. So, John, welcome back. Thank you, Kevin. It's great to be with you. It's a great day to be an American if we can keep fighting the tyranny that is trying to overthrow our country. But thanks to Freedom Voices like yourself, we uh, are delighted to be a part of uh, helping to get the good word out. Well, well, thank you. I appreciate it. You know what? I, I think I'm just going to jump right into uh, kind of what I had planned for an open today. And I have a, I have a whole list of topics that, you know, I might get to. Um, 
one of the things about this show, it's it's the way I do almost every show. Nothing's really scripted. You know, I have bullet points and I may jump around in my bullet points. I may not get to any of them. Sometimes I start talking about something and I go off on tangents. And so this is really free form. I know I got some notes from you guys on things you want to talk about. Some of them were the same things I wanted to talk about. So we're just going to jump in. We're going to start talking. I, I want to kind of go over the big picture. I've been thinking a lot about this. Um, there's so many areas in politics we could talk about right now. Like, and they're problems. You know, they're not good things right now. It, it seems like there are multiple problems in our country. I don't ever remember another time like this. And we could do a show on each individual problem. I have a whole list of them. But I also think we need to start taking a look at the big picture and trying to figure out what's going on. Um, I'm going to kind of give you my take on it, and then you guys can jump in um, with this or anything else you want to talk about. You know, for years, I've actually been saying we really need a third party in this country. For me, it would be, you know, something along the lines of the Libertarian Party, and they may be one of the better known other parties right now, and yet... What do they get in presidential elections? One or two percent at best. I mean, it's it's horrendous. It's hard to even call them a party, um, and that's unfortunate. Now I got thinking about this. It's almost like we have a third party right now, and it's it's not what I had hoped for. That's for sure, and it's certainly not making anything better. I for the last couple of years, I can't count how many shows I've started with a political topic and said. I would love to hear from somebody who traditionally votes Democratic. And I don't want to debate. I don't want to argue. I don't want to fight. I just want to hear from somebody that typically votes Democratic. And what I want to know is, what do you think about your party and their policies right now? Because I, I'm, I'm kind of blown away by what the Democrats are doing, not in a good way. And yet, I have gotten zero response. Not once. And I know I have lots of people who listen to me that vote Democratic. And it, it's a reason a lot of them don't want me to do political shows because I'm sure it frustrates them. But they listen to me for the other stuff. And I get zero response. So it seems to me like this third party now is this far left progressive segment of the Democrats. And they seem to be the loudest. They seem to have an awful lot of power for some reason. I'm not sure why. And I really don't believe that most Democratic voters support them. And yet, they seem to be running the show these days. The other thing about them, they seem to be very angry. They seem to be violent. And they like to remain anonymous. And one thing I'll tell people, if you're anonymous, your point means nothing to me. Your opinion is not valid. If you can't identify yourself, you have no validity. But that seems to be the Democrats these days, the far left, the progressives, but they seem to be running the show. What do you guys think? Well, I'm a, I'm a political animal. Um, Stanford's a, a, a great observer, and, but I, I've been up to my neck in politics through the years. And Kevin, I, I agree with you. There are a couple of things. First of all, the reason they're getting so much attention is they control the media. And uh, the thing that's uh, the best, the best way to silence those voices is for people to turn to alternative sources uh, and watch 
uh, stations that aren't controlled by the progressive left. Um, you know, this is an interesting topic because of your the nature of uh, miniature uh, followers or the, uh, the truckers. And, and through the years, uh, labor unions have, have elevated the standard of living and uh, given certain protections to uh, workers, factory workers, uh, workers in in energy and uh, trucking and um, you know shipping, etc. The challenge has been is that um, you know a, a, a non-union uh, good owner of a company who treats their employees well, who provides them with uh, incentives and opportunities to grow, and um, in many cases, of course, benefits and uh, those types of things is is far superior than having a lot of the money that's paid in dues going to politics and to the leaders of of those groups. In my opinion, so I'm I'm what I would call at this point, having gone from the R side of the spectrum to I'm a constitutional uh, humanitarian libertarian that <laughs> believes that the the social justice and the caring for those who are in need. And there are plenty of people in need. There are people who are suffering. There are people who are disabled. There are people who have been are disadvantaged. But I believe that can be best done through our churches and our charities. Uh, charities that, that, you know, have less than 10% of their expense and fundraising, uh, you know, going for administration. Uh, the rest of it is actually going to actually help people at the, you know, the boots, the boots on the ground level. So, that's my belief, but I think we're very ripe for a third party. Um, actually, uh, I remember well the the Ross Perot um, revolution. I actually passed around tapes about Ross Perot because in 1992 I was fed up to the gills with the problem on both sides of the aisle. Even though I had always leaned towards more of the uh, Republican business owner um, free enterprise at the time. But they've abused uh, much of their situation. Um, the Democrats, in my opinion, have totally lost their way, uh, 90% of them. Um, but I think that uh, more than half or more of the Republicans have as well. So I'm kind of one of those at this point who's leaning towards uh, people of character who uh, are willing to stand up for fundamental American values, the Judeo-Christian ethic that founded our country, the founder fought the founding father's vision, the constitution, the bill of rights, um, and certainly uh, less government, uh, the sovereign states, states to be able to be governed by their citizens more than the federal overreach. And I, I think that, uh, I happen to really admire, um, the governor of South Dakota, um, and of course the governor from Florida. And I think that if, um, um, and, and because I, I, we met with the governor, I met with the governor of Florida a couple of weeks ago. Uh, he's the real deal and he's unafraid to take on the establishment. And, and he hasn't, you know, he doesn't have a huge net worth having been in politics at this point in time and, and abused the office in my, from my view, I don't know everything, but I just, uh, was so impressed with his commitment to family citizens um and, and helping to try to make it i mean he just he just recently 
uh, announced another major uh, tax holiday for uh, the middle class and, and, and below. I think those are wonderful things because government is is way out of control. They're very wasteful in what, how they run their uh, the enterprise of the, of the people's money. And uh, obviously we see at the highest levels corruption everywhere. Hey, I, I couldn't agree more with just about everything you said there. Very well said. Uh, I may be putting you on the spot a little bit here doing this live on the air, but can I put you down as, a, as an official co-host? Well, I'm happy to be a part of uh, anything that uh, Stanford chooses uh, for us to, to do, and I, I just so much admire. Yeah, in the politics side, that's really my, one of my wheelhouses because I've been so interested in it over the years, and we're going to get more and more involved. And, and let me just say to uh, our drivers out there, I mean, we saw the amazing impact of what the Canadian drivers the statement they, they made, the civility that they made uh, in the way that they handled themselves under horrible uh, circumstances and conditions. And I just believe that, uh, I mean, I, I, I love America's truckers. Um, they are the lifeblood of, of our supply chain, and they should be treated well. They should be treated respectfully. And I, I appreciate someone like yourself who has made a, a lifetime of trying to improve their health, their well-being, and, uh, and and being valued, appreciated by uh, America. I mean, whenever somebody's stranded by the side of the road, it's a trucker who stops. It's it's not often a capitalist. So <laughs> I, I or it's not necessarily a union leader. So I I'm very very grateful for those independent. But I really love the independent and the fact that. But right now we're seeing because of horrible government policy. We're seeing these uh, owner-operators and, and even the other companies being stretched to the limit with these outrageous uh, energy prices. Yeah, you know, the, the interesting thing right now, we, we talk about it a lot. I've been talking about it for years because trucking really is the core of everything I do, whether it's health, politics, money, investment, whatever. I always try to bring it back to our core audience. Um so before I get off track, I, I, I now consider both of you two official co-hosts. Um, one of the things about this show, <laughs> we like people who really bring a lot of value and real world experience to things. The show we just finished, The Power Hour, um, we have three people who take time out from their busy day at Pittsburgh Power um, to come and answer questions specifically about engines and repairs and maintenance, one of our, our most popular segments. But they literally step aside from what they're doing every day. This is what they do every day to come on the air and do the show. They're not radio personalities. I'm, I'm, I've never considered myself a radio personality. I do this show because it's a way for me to do what I've been doing for 35 years. I used to have to do it with articles and seminars and meetings. And, you know, the radio seemed like a great tool for me to be able to reach people who are in their truck all day long. Uh, But I've never really considered myself a radio personality. And the guests I bring on, they're not radio personalities. They're people who do things in real life and they're good at it and they bring value to the show. With that, I also realize if you're working every day, which is the people I want, the people who do this stuff every day, there may be times you can't make it to the show. 
and, and you know, radio personalities, that would be their job. They're, they're doing a show. So I'm completely fine with, you know, hosts and guests and co-hosts that might say one week, hey, we're busy doing real world stuff. We can't make it this week. That's fine. And, and with three of us, that's even better. We'll, we'll mix and match. And um, I'd love to have you guys involved as often as possible, though. So thank you both for agreeing to that. Well, I, I want to ask you both something right now. You brought up the, the Canadian convoy, which I was so proud of those guys. Um, I, I said it every day. They handled themselves so well. Um, the government of Canada was an absolute joke. When it came to that, I was shocked at their lack of response, lack of even attempting to hear from these guys. The, the group that keeps every country running, not just ours, it's the same way in Canada. And yet the government just refused to even acknowledge them and talk to them, called them terrorists. It was just awful. Let me ask you something, though. You guys are both really plugged into the political world. You're both plugged into news. Do you guys realize the American convoy is still going on? No, that's been kept uh, silent with some uh, with a lot of work, Kevin. I don't think uh, I would wager that most of the country doesn't know anything about it. Yeah, it's it. They're they're still a convoy. They spent quite a bit of time in D.C., got almost no coverage, left D.C., went back to the West Coast, and from from what I understand, they're back heading to dc again and yet i'm very plugged into this industry and i barely know that that's going on well yeah i've I've heard harkens back to what john said about um who gets to speak in the country and that's even a a broader broader uh and um extremely relevant uh, topic in the last few weeks as we have this uh Ministry of Truth emerging out of this bizarre administration. I, ministry of Truth is actually the term of art that was used by George Orwell in his 1984 <laughs> novel. You know, they, they've opted to call it the you know a, a, a board of disinformation or a commission, <clears throat> but uh, the intent is the same: it's to it's to rewrite history and to be able to control. Uh, actually to dumb down critical thinking capacity. So, uh, yeah, it's, it's very concerning when the, uh, if we're almost, I think, at a point, or arguably beyond politics, because politics, if you take a close look at the definition in the Oxford English Dictionary, you know, which is really the most comprehensive dictionary on the planet, that politics is a, is a process and methodology of conversation or governance that exists in constitutional states and it does not exist that is there is no politics under a despotic government system and uh, because then that conversation stops you know uh, to, to talk about politics is to talk about the abilities you started off at the top of the hour saying the ability to have a conversation with someone who believes something different than you do. And you say you don't have any takers. <laughs> Nobody <laughs> wants to talk. Well, there's a, when there's a lack of dialogue, there's, there's a lack of politics. 
and uh, which becomes extremely dangerous because the alternative to politics is war. That's it's kind of a binary choice. Uh, that's why in the Orwellian novel, the uh, the news of the day was was uh, was always reporting on perpetual wars and how Oceania, the country in which the uh, you know the formerly known Isle of more uh, British Isles was uh, come to be called the you know a country of Oceania, and it was in a state of perpetual war against other countries, and that was the news of the day. It was just the success of the perpetual wars, and so uh, any personal relation, you know, all other things took second, uh, third seat to to that. So conversation, you know, uh, personal relationships were prohibited. Does that sound familiar? Uh, yes. Or obstructed. Actually, made to become illegal in in uh, Orwell's uh, society. There, that personal relationships were illegal and would get you picked up, arrested, tortured, and and uh, schooled. So, we do have some things to be concerned about the um, the efforts of uh, the government over the last two years to prevent us from socializing even families from socializing to, to visit our kindred while they're dying to, you know, hospital have rights beyond family rights to incarcerate, uh, whoever they deem, uh, incarceratable. Yes. Yeah, so no, it's a really, it is a, it's a very bizarre time because the, the lack of conversation, the lack of dialogue, honest dialogue. I you know when I think about that, some of the history of, you mentioned political parties, uh, uh, Clarence Darrow was an early 20th century lawyer who was a Democrat, uh, was actually part of the, uh, one of the leading members of the American Civil Liberties Union, and was a fantastic uh, advocate for unions. Um, you could talk to the guy. Uh, he was, uh, he actually argued the case of, you know, the Scopes Monkey Trial, right? Uh, and um, we don't, there's, there's, there are very few, I mean, I bring him up. He actually started a, was involved in starting a party called the Anti Imperialist, the Anti Imperialist Party in the late uh, 19th century. Um, and then, uh, of course, became a, an exceptional lawyer in the early 20th century. That we uh, talked about third parties, the anti-imperialist party. How does that sound? <laughs> um, yeah, we are gravitating to a situation of, of perpetual wars. That uh, seems to be the the, the greatest investment <laughs> the United States has globally is our our uh, military bases. Let, let me and, jump and populating them with. Let me know, jump so, in anyway. there real quick, just because it's something yeah. I you know talk of war and. What I'm really shocked about what's going on right this week, I posted something this morning. I'm starting to get some of these cases mixed up. I've got to get them clear in my head and make some notes. But I'm hearing comments from the left, from people in high positions, Mitch McConnell, others. The language they're using right now and specifically around, you know, what's going on in the Supreme Court, which I have a lot to say about that. Um, their language is very inflammatory 
he was making statements the other day. He was addressing the Supreme Court justices directly, saying things like, you will get what's coming to you. Speaking of the justices, first off, that's illegal for him to even talk that way. Right. That was Chuck Schumer. Uh, I'm sorry. McConnell had this problem. Yeah. But Schumer, I just wanted to correct that. You are correct. Schumer. Right. uh, And he said that even back when the uh, Kavanaugh and uh, uh, the uh, uh, Amy... um, Coney Barrett were being put forward and uh, Gorsuch, he, he made all kinds of threats on them uh, preliminary in the middle of the process, which is, which is unbelievable for a, for a Senate majority leader, Senate president. And what the other thing, this administration several times has shown a complete disregard for the law. We're a nation of laws. How many times has has Biden said with his executive orders, I'm going to do this and I know the Supreme Court will not uphold it? He knows it. Well, then you're breaking the law and you're doing it on purpose and you're doing it knowingly. He even tells us he's going to do it. And right now, what I don't understand, we can argue peaceful protests or riots or You know, we can argue that all day long. We know this administration has supported every type of protest, whether it's mostly peaceful or they're burning cities down. But we have very, very clear, specific laws about the Supreme Court. You can't protest the Supreme Court. We have laws that say specifically you can't do that. You can't demonstrate at the building. You can't demonstrate at their house. You can't make statements that try to influence them. It's against the law. We have clear laws about that. And yet this administration is ignoring those laws. And they're saying they have the right to protest peacefully. No, they don't. Not against the Supreme Court. You don't. It's a different law. They don't want to follow the law. They believe they are the law, and they believe they're above the law. If uh, the other side, uh, the, the, the right-wing extremists uh, do anything, they get thrown in jail for a year without um, any kind of redress. Um, there's all kinds of horrific things. You know, the, the evidence and, and things behind the January 6th uh, situation needs to come to some form of transparency and uh, because there's, there's just so many questions that are uh, unanswered, but the way those people, many of them have been treated and now they determined if I would highly recommend Dinesh D'Souza's uh, 2000 mules. I was watching it last night. It's incredible on uh, things. And they talked about uh, even one of the instances uh, of, maybe not that, but something else that I saw is that all the people, uh, many of the people who've been arrested in the January event uh, a year ago uh, were being tracked before they even got there. So they already had the evidence on whatever they were maybe going to do or be a part of something. So there's just so many things. And one of the things, Kevin, that Stanford and I are, are you know, with, with uh, is supporting and sustaining Rally for Liberty and prosecute now.com, prosecute that, not, uh, 
prosecutemail.com, is, is we're looking for transparency and we're looking for answers. Uh, we're not prejudging anything. We're looking for uh, putting people under oath, under examination, in discovery, and find out what in the heck's going on and then do the research to bring transparency, which our current leaders and our media are not doing their job. I, I couldn't agree more about transparency. It's gotten so bad that you can't debate people because they won't identify who they are. That That's a complete lack of transparency. It's not even we don't know what you're doing. We don't even know who these people are half the time. One of the things... Uh, I agree. Yeah, I'm sitting here si- silently, Kevin, because it, uh, there's so much... Uh, there's so much to consider. There's um, uh, the some of the efforts that John and I are involved in, as he has mentioned, prosecute now relate to the activity of non-elected government officials, um, bureaucrats that uh, not necessarily doesn't have to be used as a pejorative term, but these are people that have regulatory authority like at the uh, CDC and uh, the NIH, you know, other uh, government agencies that uh, we've seen over the last two years a an ability under an executive order to for the executive branch to run the country through non uh, through unelected uh, regulatory officials who who get appointed. And then, uh, you know, good luck dismissing them out of their offices for yeah. negligence or incompetence. Uh, you know, uh, yeah. Incompetence. So, you know, what John has identified is really uh, front and center of a number of things, a number of fronts that we're pursuing is um, identifying, as John has described, um, creating the transparency. Uh, under the subpoena power is necessary because obviously it's not being volunteered. And then uh, accountability. And uh, we, we learned a few weeks ago that we, notwithstanding some challenges that the judicial branch has, it still operates. There are many good judges in the country and uh, the thoughtful preparation and presentation of a case in a court of law can result in good out in the just outcomes, outcomes that are consistent with laws that have been passed by the legislative body. And uh, as you're aware, the, the mask mandate, the travel mask mandate, uh, was rejected as unconstitutional and illegal about three weeks ago. Uh, I think it was three weeks ago yesterday. Uh, out of the Florida Central District uh, Federal Court, um, Judge Mazel. So we were uh, we participated in bringing that in the preparation and bringing that case that prosecute now. You know, our team we were grateful, obviously, to to get the outcome yes. that we did. That was a big uh, one. It, there is, you know, people people can know. I mean, that's one of the messages hey. that, that I would certainly want to. Back with the days, we can we can win, Kevin. There are ways that we can we can take back our liberties. Absolutely, and I think you guys are on the right track. I think we're to the point where this is going to have to happen in court. As much as I hate to say that, we're not having any 
political debate. There's there's no compromise. There, you know, it, it there's there's so many things that you know go through my mind when we start talking about this. The Democrats control you know the government right now, yet they they don't seem to be doing much of anything. Um, they're not addressing any of the problems the people on the streets are dealing with, and it looks like they're just going to get killed in the the midterm elections and yet it that they don't even seem to be addressing that i i i sit here and i look and i think they can't be that incompetent do they have some sort of plan that we're not aware of because you know after the midterms they'll have virtually no power is what it looks like not in the legislative body and yet they don't seem to be concerned about that they don't seem to be doing much of anything except maybe leaking Supreme Court documents um, that is going to help them at the midterm. Well, you know, I think it was ironic um, when uh, that particular uh, White House uh, fiesta where uh, President Biden came in uh, for President uh, Obama was there and was the start of the show and nobody would pay attention to, to Biden. Oh, man. Where, uh, you know, uh, Obama was asked, hey, what do you got to do for the upcoming, uh, you know, the, the 2022 uh, election uh, election process? And he says, we, we've got a good story. We just got to tell it. Um, of course, he didn't identify what that story was with any degree of specificity. They don't have a story. No, there is no right. story. So I think that's one, of the reasons, that's one of the reasons that you see the rise of the, the absolutely uh, ridiculous you know, Russia-Ukraine war that certainly didn't need to happen. That's why you see, I, I suppose, I, I can't reach any you know dispositive conclusions because we don't have any evidence about how or who, who created this leak from the Supreme Court, was, which was uh, obviously a, a absolutely tragic um, sad and tragic event, the fact that you would have a betrayal of trust out of that institution, regardless of the party, the, the nature of the act uh, doesn't change. It's despicable. So, you know, it seems to be a game of distraction because there is no good story to tell the, with the overriding uh, chapters of the story being, you know, out of control inflation and out of control border. Um you know, and, and on and on. So it's, I, I don't know, Kevin, that you think you, you spend so much time and maybe you spend so much time in Washington, you, you actually lose contact and context of what living, you know, people Boy. think outside of that beltway. Boy, I, I hope John, that's we, not it. Go ahead, John. No, I, I was, I was just going to say that and again, this is where, and just maybe a little advice, if possible, because just like one person uh, or one trucker or one um, small business owner, it, it's pretty lonely out there. But what I would encourage others to consider, share the information. One of the things that's going on, like with, with Dinesh D'Souza's uh, documentary, it is documented to the hilt. And people can say what they want about uh disinformation, misinformation, lies and propaganda. But the beautiful thing that we still have is forums through the internet, uh, programs like yours and others 
that are allowing people to hear the other side of the story and then come to understand and make their own choices. And I would encourage the drivers uh, to talk to other drivers, express your concern, go to your representatives to go talk to your corporate uh, companies and tell them of your concerns. But do it as a group. Gather others of like-minded views and concerns and ask them to you know, recognize the liberties and things that you hold you hold dear because one person can connect with several others and as you spread that information in that circle, that's where the power comes. That's what grassroots power is and that's what we all now need to do is grassroots, county commissioners, county sheriffs, deputy sheriffs, they are the, they are the supreme law in each county and so every chance you get, uh, truckers, I would Give a thumbs up, and if you run into a county sheriff at the at, at the uh, truck stop, tell them that you want them to stand up for the Constitution and stand up for the citizens of this country, because it's the county sheriffs at that level of law enforcement that can make a difference. Well said. Let me let me throw out a case um, that absolutely confuses me. Um, it, it's common right now this this one case just. I happen to make some notes about it because it, it kind of points out how, I don't know, how confusing, ironic politics are. I've been fairly political for a couple decades. Um, it certainly seems to me like it's always been the left that was the champion of the First Amendment. That was like their amendment, I always felt like. Civil liberties, freedom of speech. I always thought that was a left thing. Uh, I'm not sure what's happened. Um this case points out so many things. And I always thought that the Democrat Party was for minority rights, whether it was women or um, religious groups, maybe not so much on the religious side, but uh, minority groups, ethnic groups, whatever it might be. I always thought the left was the champion of those people as well. That all seems to have disappeared. Uh, and here's a, here's an interesting case, and, and it goes back to the mandates around COVID. Um, we have a female college student, first generation in her family. Her her whole thing was she was so proud she was going to be the first person in her family, in her history, to graduate from college. She's a pre med student. She got the first shot. She got the second shot, and after the second shot, she had horrible reactions almost immediately. Her doctor told her, do not get the booster. All the evidence shows that this is dose-specific. You may have been okay with the first one. You weren't okay with the second one. The third one will be worse. Don't take it. She is, she's been expelled from her college. She had two shots. She wasn't an anti-vaxxer. She wasn't somebody who said, absolutely no, I'm not doing this. She took the first shot, went back for the second shot. She's still suffering from some of the medical consequences of the second shot, which her doctor absolutely believes it was the shot. I've studied this stuff. She has the same symptoms a lot of people get after getting that shot. And here we are, 
this far into this, and there's so much evidence about lockdowns, masks, vaccines, how completely ineffective they've been. And we just took a, she's at least in two minorities. She's Mexican and she's female. She's a pre-med student. And we just expelled her from college because she won't take the booster. And her doctor, the medical community is telling her, no, don't take it. How outrageous is this? It's one of about 10,000 outrageous things that have occurred over the last 20 years, literally since 9-11, when with the Patriot Act, uh, many of our freedoms were taken away. And uh, very, very troubling. I, I, I thought to myself the other day as I was going through uh, the beautiful Tampa uh, Bay Airport, and I saw this gorgeous airport, thousands of people, and thousands of people, uh, and I saw all of us compliantly taking off our shoes because one person 15 years ago somehow put in a device in their shoe that could cause a problem for an airplane. Except it and failed. And I thought to myself. It failed. That's yeah, exactly. the other ironic thing. No, it exactly. didn't even work. <laughs> no, I, I, exactly. And so I'm thinking to myself, I, I literally had this thought process. I thought, is it worth it for us to have mega billion dollar expenditure of all these people who, you know, of course I'm married as Stanford is. I have never met Lisa, but I, you have these attractive wives. And the first thing they want to do at the airport is pat them down all the time. They don't want to pat me down because there's not much excitement there. But I'll tell you, I, I, I go through, I go through this process and I'm taking off my belt. My suspenders and pants are falling down. I'm pulling out an iPad. Now I, I don't know when the last time somebody, you know, blew up a building with an iPad, but, or a CPAP. And I, I'm just like, and then I see people throwing away bottles of water so that they can turn around and buy another bottle of water on the other side of the uh, of the inspection station, and I just thought, you know, what? Where have we come as a society? I mean, seriously, that we go through this type of situation. Well, unfortunately, they're evil people, and yes, every life has value. But it's interesting we put so much value on every life, but we didn't. We haven't. We seem to look the other way. That you know, seventy five million. Uh, aborted lives have occurred over the last 50 years, and yet we're so concerned about other single lives depending on who they are. So we have some real uh, mix-up in our values, and and much of it is to blame on federal overreach and the taking away of, of personal liberty. Yeah, let me throw in another one. We have over 100,000 people a year now dying from uh, fentanyl or opioid overdoses and we barely talk about it. And it's all flooding across a southern border that doesn't even seem to exist anymore. And we barely talk about that. Those are lives. They're dying every day. Those are big, big numbers, way bigger than most of the problems we spend time on. And yet that's almost never discussed. Something else I want to go back to, um, because you two were involved in this. Uh, isn't it interesting, the mask mandate, on airplanes. Um, we finally got it thrown out. Uh, again, you guys were a part of that. 
Um, I think the statistic I've seen, and if you've been in airports since then, you could probably verify this. I think the statistic is right now people flying, only 3% are wearing masks. 97%. I heard it several times, saw it yesterday, and everyone should be saying, then why, where were all the people who were looking down their nose at everybody else? Right. Um, or, Or the Australian, I mean, I saw... That, you know, the Australian police in Melbourne, Australia, looking into coffee cups for people who are moving their masks to drink their coffee in a public park. I mean, we have gone to levels of insanity uh, that are beyond belief. And, and it really comes back to, you know, Stanford talking about 1984. It's all about control. And it's about controlling the people. And uh, I just, um, you know, I, I had a, a neighbor who I attend church with, and he, he has had a mask on, you know, for two years, day and night. And then I saw him driving his motorcycle down the highway without a helmet on. Another <laughs> <laughs> day I said to him, I said, are you, are you more concerned about getting something in church with a mask on than you are driving and having somebody run you off the road without your helmet. Now, I'm, I'm a firm believer that people should have a choice to wear a seatbelt or not a seatbelt, wear a helmet or not wear a helmet. I guess that's the libertarian side of me. But I've just found the irony of somebody wearing a, pla- a paper mask that has no value at all in restricting anything, <laughs> and yet he's out there driving down the freeway with a few strands of hair flowing in the breeze at uh, uh, 300 pounds on his motorcycle. Well, let me jump in there because I'll be completely transparent because as a libertarian, I believe those same things. We should all be able to make those choices. If I'm not hurting somebody else, then the choice should be mine. If the only life I'm putting in danger is my own, that's my right. I firmly believe that. And I don't even make logical choices about that. Um, I wear a seatbelt every time I get in the car. So automatic. It just, if I don't put it on, it feels odd. When I rode motorcycles, I rode quite a bit on the street without a helmet in states where it was legal. I know that's not a logical thing to do. I know the odds of me getting killed without a helmet are far greater than getting killed without a seatbelt. They're, they're both pretty similar. Um, when it came to COVID, I just didn't see that as all that dangerous for me at all. It, it just wasn't. But I, I still think everybody should have their own choice and be able to make it how they want. If for some reason he believes that COVID is far dangerous than having his uh, noggin squashed on the highway, that's his right. But we were forced exactly. to do all these things. And that's what many of us fought back against. Obviously not enough. If 97% of the people who were on airplanes wearing masks and then as soon as they were told they didn't have to they took them off clearly that's just control they had a far different opinion they didn't want to wear that mask they didn't think it was important to wear that mask they didn't think that mask was protecting them from anything if they did they would still be wearing it exactly yeah that's that's a really really observation kevin because uh you know nobody read the opinion i mean it's a 60 page opinion. Right. Um, you know, it was reported that the, uh, the mask mandate was terminated. Mask no longer necessary to wear. Nobody, uh, has really shown any interest in about why, 
How did the judge reach that conclusion? There was immediate response to the judge that was very derogatory. You know, personal accusations. I mean, it was uh, it was kind of it was quite pathetic. No discussion about the merits of the plaintiffs in the case in the actual law that the, the CDC had had taken pains to violate in establishing this overreaching uh, regulatory mandate. So it, it is, it is uh, almost, it, it, you know, it's so sad. It's comical. You know, it's more so tragic that all you need to do is tell somebody, well, you don't have to wear that anymore. And they'll take it off without, without asking for any justification, without asking for any information, without asking for, I mean, uh, without any kind of critical thought, it's like, okay, I guess I'll take it off now. Excellent point. And let's, dive into that a little deeper there were two big issues here around the mask one the medical issue do you really believe that ma- that mask was protecting you from something and if you did then i guess you should wear it if you want to be protected from that that's the medical issue but then if you can catch if you can catch mosquitoes if you can catch mosquitoes with a chain link fence yeah wear it exactly you know, or, or whatever or whatever you want to believe because we love that it's a free country and if you want to wear a mask you wear a mask everywhere sure. you want no nobody now it used to sure. be you couldn't wear a mask into a bank that that made some sense. Exactly. That, that's been thrown right out the window. Wear a mask now and and walk right in and rob them. Nobody will know who you are. But it was your. It, it should have been your choice. And there were some medical issues. Do you really believe it's protecting you? If you do, you should wear it. Totally up to you. Then there were the legal issues. Can they force us to wear this when? There wasn't really any science behind it. It's not protecting anybody. It's not protecting me. It's not protecting the other person. But it it seems like the majority of the people put no thought into either one. They didn't really know whether it was protecting them or not. They didn't do the research to know. They don't really understand the law and the constitution. All they seem to base all of their decisions on is what the government tells them. And that's so sad. Yeah. Again, lack of conversation between individuals, you know? So, yeah, well, boy, you know, I, I never even, I think I only got to one thing on my list today, which is kind of what I said at the beginning, this show is free form and we'll probably just throw topics out there and, and start talking about them, which we did. And we kind of um, jumped around a little bit, but I, I think the theme is really the same, that our whole political system seems to have been hijacked and it's hard to tell who hijacked it. It's hard to tell who agrees with it. I mean, we were pretty clear that most people who vote Republican or Libertarian are not good with much of what's going on in the country. That, that seems pretty clear. We seem to have this far left that, like I said, they're loud, they're angry. They do seem to get a lot of attention from the media. The media seems to support and agree with them a lot of times. And, and now when we say media, we also have to include big tech. That, that's probably the biggest source of media for most Americans today is, is you know, online social media information. Um, big tech seems to have a stranglehold on that, although we might be seeing some, some breaks in that finally. Um, the mainstream media seems to support these far left-wing theories and talking points. I, I still keep coming back to 
where are the true Democrat liberals? The people you could actually talk to, whether you agree with them or not, you could talk. You knew what their position was and why. Even if you didn't agree with it, it it made some sense. But they seem to have disappeared. Where are they? Well, like, uh, unfortunately, like most politicians, they're cowards. And they don't want to get into a fight with the progressive left that's controlling the media. Because if they do, I mean, look what happened to Joe Manchin, uh, you know, for essentially striking down uh, the filibuster. And yet, you know, he's walking a tightrope in a conservative, conservative state, a Trump state comparatively. And yet, you know, he, when push comes to shove, he and Kristen Sinema backed off from leadership and were the only two willing to break, break, break ranks, partly, hopefully by com- conviction, but more prob- problem, uh, more realistically from political expediency to save their own save their own political career. So thank heavens there's a couple of them. But I was just looking at uh, Epic Times and it talks about the governor uh, Abbott of, uh, of Florida is, uh, is now in favor of uh, every child should have educational choice. What's, what's happening, I think, Kevin, is DeSantis is having a very positive influence on taking uh, the... Um, the lack of stiff-spined Republican politicians, and they're seeing his success in, a, in actually sticking up for families and for uh, constitutional values in the individual. And, and so you're going to start seeing more and more people wanting to get a little piece of that action because he's up by 20-plus points in his own state on his first re-election because he's actually standing up for something instead of trying to test the winds and accommodate the 5% extremists. Uh, and so in, in the same time, you're neglecting the 50, 60, 70% of, of freedom-loving, constitutional-believing Americans and uh, trying to pander to that left-wing agenda right now. Yeah, you know, it, it, it seems so obvious that all of these issues, the school board elections we've seen, the primaries we've seen so far, um, it seems to me like what the media wants to call these extreme right-wing views, um, which are pretty down the middle mainstream, when it comes to elections, they seem to be wildly popular. They don't seem to be right-wing extreme views. These things are turning elections and people are voting differently. And that's kind of my surprise that the left hasn't reacted to this yet. They haven't pivoted. They haven't changed. They, so I almost have to believe they're not that stupid. They're not that incompetent. And, and all I can do is wonder, what is their plan? They, they have to see that their issues that they support do not seem to be popular once they come out and people know what they are. Well, there are a couple of things, a couple of comments I've made, Kevin. Number one, based on you know, the comments you and John were just exchanging is, we do have the federal government is is one animal, but we all live in separate states, and this is a you know our nation is a nation of uh, united states. Uh, each state has its own sovereignty, uh, and, you know, contrasted with the the power and sovereignty of the of the nation. We can we have 
uh, much more individual uh, control in our states than we do relative to the federal government. And so, you know, I, w- I would ask, admonish, and, and uh, request, you know, everybody that's listening to this show that your your vote really does count at a state level, at a county level. Uh, and as John had mentioned earlier, at, at county levels, our governments uh, in this country function uh, in a very specific way. And the rights of the, of the people, the will of the people, uh, the government of the people has preserved it. Even in the, you know, in, the, in the federal constitution is a function of state power. Is uh, reserved to the states are all the rights that are not explicit, you know, explicitly expressed in the federal constitution itself. So being involved, having a voice, taking a stand, sharing your ideas with your neighbor in our, you know, in our neighborhoods and in, in those, in our cities, counties, and states is a very good line, a very strong line of defense against an overreaching federal apparatus. Um, Governor DeSantis, on the on the point we're talking about, he is he's demonstrating this. It's it's a fact, and uh, there are some other states that are doing the same. But I think he's the most visible leader uh, of you know, of this state sovereignty dynamic that uh, that we have right now. And um, so, regarding his leadership, and uh, really looking for people in our own separate states. As John said, voting for character as opposed to party, we can really make, you know, we as citizens, common citizens, can make a significant difference by exercising our uh, our right to vote and choosing people of uh, character. And it's not too late for that. Um, it's never too late for that. Very but well we said. You know, we can't complain. We can't complain. We shouldn't complain. If we haven't taken any action, you know, we shouldn't bitch and moan (laughs) if, in fact, we haven't done anything about changing our position, you know, changing our circumstances. So I just encourage everybody, uh, action is always better than complaining. I agree. agree. That was very well said. And and I think it's one of the things I love the most about our system are, are the state's rights. And I think we can accomplish a lot through that. And in fact, um, I, I need to kind of recruit you guys to move to Oregon because I jumped in with both feet. I can't imagine a place where uh, where my politics... Do- Although, you know, I really thought as a libertarian, I've always thought this, it never comes true. I always think as a libertarian, I should be fine in either party. Because there's a lot of things I agree with from both parties as a libertarian. And yet it, it's, it's almost the opposite. It's almost as like a libertarian, you can't seem to fit into either party because both of them seem to focus on the stuff they disagree with you about. Um, Fortunately, even though I'm in a state that's extremely left and liberal, I seem to be in a small area where there there do seem to be a lot more libertarians, not not, you know, not many far right wing conservatives, some of those, not many, um, but more libertarians. So it's um, it's not all bad, but. Clearly, the, uh, the politics in Oregon here, from my point of view, need a lot of work. You know, guys, I was almost ready to wrap this up. I didn't look at the call board once the whole time. 
I, I almost forgot. The three of us are just talking and talking and moving from one subject to another. So um, we should be wrapping this up about now, but you guys want to take a couple calls? Sure, sure. All right, let's uh, let's get started in Iowa. Matt, welcome to the program. Good morning, gentlemen. What's on your mind today? Well, I just have one topic that's in the news right now, and I got to read it because I can never remember. Parts and accessories necessary for safe operations. And we would call this the speed limiter mandate. Oh, that's what they're calling this? Their title, yes. Oh, boy. (laughs) Sheesh. So um, what I'm talking about is the website regulations.gov and what we call the speed limiter uh, mandate or whatever is open for comments right now. And unfortunately, I haven't figured out a good way for people to search this, so I'm just going to give the Federal Register number. Once you go to that website, regulations.gov, there's a search bar right at the top. And this register number is the year 2022-09443. And then it, once you hit search with that number, it brings up like I say, that title, um, parts and accessories necessary for safe operations, and then in parentheses, speed limiting devices. You know, normally they so come anybody, up with, with goofy names to try to get some kind of acronym out of them, but this one doesn't even seem like they came up with a clever acronym. It's just a lousy title. Yep. Well... <laughs> Most everything they do is a pretty lousy title. (laughs) Yeah. Um, So, yeah, and this is only 30 days, this one, um, and it opened last week already, so there's only 24 days left to go leave a comment. Um, I have not left one yet because I want to do some research in my comment. I want to use statistics, and because this is just my opinion right now on my anecdotal, you know, what I see out here on the road. I don't see speeding trucks as a big problem when it comes to safety. Where it probably is a big problem is in construction zones. And if we have a speed limiter that's set at 70 miles an hour or whatever the number, and that, so I did read this. They don't have a number in Right. That will be determined on the final rule. So you well, can't it, vote on what the, what the number is going to be. You could but comment yeah, so on it, I guess. 70, right. Yeah. You could, you could put your opinion in there. Yeah. But yeah, my opinion is if they set it at 70 or 75 and you go speeding into a 45 mile an hour construction zone, there's nothing forcing we, you to slow down to 45 miles an hour. We haven't improved any safety. Right. I, I look. No. So let me get Stanford and and John up to speed on this. Um, what we're talking about here, guys, is um, 
I, I believe there's only one place that we're aware of right now between the two countries, U.S. and Canada. They've talked about speed limiters on trucks many times, or commercial vehicles. Uh, Ontario has theirs, right? 65? Is that right? Yes, but I don't think they... I don't know how they enforce it. I know they're not inspecting anymore. Okay. They're not plugging in and checking anymore. Well, and maybe I that's something we should go there. So we should research that. So, Matt, there you go. Let's research what the yep. effect of Ontario having a speed limiter has done. Do they even bother with it anymore? Is it just one more piece of legislation that collects cobwebs and isn't even being enforced? So, John Stanford, we're we're talking about limiting the speed of a commercial vehicle. It would be mandatory. You could be inspected for it. We do it through the electronics. There's a couple, uh, there's a lot we could talk about here, but a couple things come to mind for me. One, we are a nation of laws. We already have laws about speed. We clearly, we have speed limits. If you break them, you get a ticket. If you get too many tickets, you could lose your license. What's wrong with that system? Why, Why do we now need to take a whole bunch of laws that already exist and force them to be enforced ahead of time? We have a law. I should have the right to break that law if I want, and then the government has the right to punish me for it. I'm okay with that system. It works great. But now we're, again, we're control, coming back to control. You don't get the option anymore. We're going to say, if they pass this law, that you have to limit your truck electronically or mechanically so it cannot go faster than this no matter what. That's to me, I, I, we already have laws that address all that. The other problem is now you're looking at a country where there are states with truck speed limits of 55 and some states with truck speed oh. limits of 80. How, how do you pick yeah. a speed limiter that makes any sense? If you, if you choose 60, say, let's get extreme, or even 65 like Ontario did, you've now created a huge speed differential in the Western states with 80 miles an hour speed limits. Cars can still go 80, trucks have to go 65. But in, in the 55 mile an hour states, you're now allowing those trucks to speed. It, it's almost like you're condoning it. You're saying we'll limit your truck to 65, but when you're in this state, speed limit's 55. Now we expect you to follow the law and it's 55. Well, forget the limiter then and just expect me to follow the law and if I don't, punish me. Any thoughts? Well, I'd say it's Orwellian. Again, you have thought, you know, the uh, the enforcers, uh, at least the first level of enforcement in that Orwellian novel, that, that story of uh, authoritarianism is the thought police and the protagonist Winston Smith uh, the reason he was taken into custody and tortured broken and then put out to society and made a, uh, an example until that example use was you know uh, of no value to the party anymore then he was then they, then they were going to shoot him but the crime for which he was arrested was for writing his own thoughts in his di- in a diary. You know, yeah, the, the, obviously thoughts that were contrary to the thoughts of the state, contrary to the thoughts of the party, because the party was, you know, as O'Brien is torturing, uh, 
the rea- reality is what we tell you. Yeah. Yeah. You know, this is kind of a recursion. It smacks of thought policing. You're like, well, since you're not responsible, you know, we're, we're going to, here's the system we're going to, we're going to be involved in. We have laws, but we're going to prevent their, uh, we're actually going to prevent the law's utility, which is agency. You know, laws are premised on the, on a, on the fact that, or a recognition that humans have agency and ability to select their activity. And this is uh, obviously a form of deselection. Yeah. I'll throw in one more thing just to put a little context to it. This isn't the first time speed limiters come up. They've come up several times over the 30 plus years I've been in this industry. I've fought against them every time they come up. Just to put a little perspective on it, when I drove, when I owned trucks, this law would have had no impact on me whatsoever. I could have ignored this law I and people who listen to me know I drove most of my million plus miles in a commercial vehicle at 57 miles an hour by choice. Wow. I did it because it made sense to me. I, I made more money profit wise on the bottom line when I controlled the speed of my trucks. You use less fuel, your tires last longer, things don't break as often, you don't get as many tickets, you do need to manage your time better. But to me, it just made sense. I could have driven 80 if I wanted to, if the speed limit was that. I chose not to. So I could ignore these laws, they would have had zero impact on me and my equipment, and my trucks. But that's not the point. The point was these laws are unnecessary, unconstitutional, don't need to exist, and it's just more about control. So let's grab one more call, and then we will wrap this up. We're going to go to Michigan this time. Uh, Brandy, welcome to the program. Thank you, Kevin. Um, So uh, Rahm Emanuel had that phrase, uh, never let a good crisis go to waste. Yeah. I think the uh, reason why we don't have, why they don't care about the election is because they don't plan to have one. Or they're going to basically disrupt it so bad that it won't even matter. So they can basically say anything, do anything they want. And, you know, meanwhile, we're thinking, oh, the normalcy is like they should be campaigning by now. They should be doing everything to say everything to, uh, to that they're going to be reelected. And it just seems like that seems very similar to like what Rahm Emanuel said. Uh, but one of the things is, uh, I'm reading about is um, Alexander Dugan, uh, Putin's uh, like philosopher. It's a book called The Great Awakening versus The Great Reset. And it's been sort of said by other people as well that when Donald Trump uh, was up at uh, the U.N. as well as uh, some other place and he said he was going to turn back the globalist movement that's when they decided no you're not and they're going to basically take away the election and and they're they they don't want the capitalist system and so they're going to do everything to uh destroy it and so you have to wonder why are we poking at russia why are we uh uh, helping Iran to get a nuclear weapon. Why are we letting North Korea test intercontinental missiles? It's like, are they trying to create a crisis that ends up to being an emer- uh, a national emergency, ending up to be martial law, ending up the end of what we've always known? 
it seems to be the really only thing that truly makes sense. And, you know, it's clearly out there in the conspiratorial thinking kind of thing, but um, how can you not say this is what's going on? I, I have a hard time arguing against it, even as crazy as it sounds. It, 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 when you look at what's going on with the midterm elections and what the Democrats are doing or not doing, there aren't many good explanations. I, I don't know that this is a good explanation, but it it actually fits all the evidence better than any other theory. My question would be if that exactly. if that turns out to be true, if that's what this is about, they're they're planning or hoping or creating some sort of chaos uh, so that it's not an election like we think it's going to be. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Where do we go from there as a country? You know, the last election was argued somewhat, but if you really tried to question much, you got shut down really, really hard. Um, We do know people were jailed without due process, still are. If if, If this is that crazy, what is the outcome of that? I mean, I shudder to even think. I I don't think the country will put up with it again. That's what you've been talking about. And you got fractions, factions, you know, like this abortion thing. You got Democrat, Republican, you know, all all these things, and we're not united anymore. Um, yeah, anyway. yeah. I, I uh, John Stanford, any final thoughts on that idea? Well, I don't know about that idea. The fact is, crazy is is what we're now living in. So, like you say, there's nothing that comes up that doesn't. Uh, put us in a challenging situation to not think that these these uh, conspiracy theories become reality very quickly. Kevin, I, I wanted to, because of, I have such a high regard, as you know, for your audience, I wanted to just share a couple of thoughts. One, one of the things as a, a guy who's driven, you know, 150 to 80,000 miles per year, most of these last couple of decades, other than during the COVID years, um, I, I see all of the good that the, the, my fellow uh, uh, wayfarers, truck, truckers do on the road. I see it all the time. One thing that's been interesting is twice in the last year, however, in the midst of a snowstorm, I, you know, I drive all-wheel drive vehicles. I've, you know, I've driven millions of miles as a driver, as a passenger, and I drive according to the existing conditions. And one of the things that is, that concerned me just the other night I was in a blind out situation and I was, you know, crawling along at about 45 miles an hour. And I got, I got passed by a double trailer fuel truck going about (laughs) 75 at 10 o'clock at night. And, and plus in addition to the fact that I couldn't see, they showered, you know, half the sludge on the road on me at the same time. Yeah. I would, I, I just would put it out there to our trucking friends. Please understand that when you have a, a 70 year old, even though he may be a great driver, I've never had a major accident in all my years of driving. Uh, we're trying to drive under the existing conditions. So please don't leave us for dead in the middle of a blizzard like we're a bunch of idiots when we're trying to drive uh, under the existing conditions, which I've always felt like when I've been in Europe and you're driving 140 kilometers uh, in your rented uh, Mercedes, 
and you're passed like you're standing still by somebody else's. <laughs> um, it's, it, it's a lot about the equipment that you have. And granted, the, the trucks have great equipment and the drivers have great experience. But please just remember on a snowy, a rainy time with a lot of standing water on the road, uh, that the other pass, the other drivers may not be as skilled, but you know, well, cut us a little slack on these existing conditions sometimes. Well, you are very nice about the way you worded that, and I appreciate that. Um, being a part of the industry and and having the experience myself, uh, I'm not usually that polite. I'd call the guy that passed you an idiot. And those are the kind of people we need to get out of our industry. I don't care how good you think you are. I don't care how good our equipment is. There are, and I see it a lot and I call it out when I see it. There's a lot of very unsafe practices in our industry. We have a lot of drivers who I don't trust. I don't appreciate that they're in our industry and I call them out when I see it. And that would be a case. If you were that uncomfortable driving and you do have plenty of miles and plenty of experience and those were the conditions, there's no way that driver should be driving like that. I believe that laws like speed limiters make that worse because it, it, the more control you take away from us as individuals, the more responsibility you take away as well. If, if the government forces me to drive a certain speed by by limiting my truck to that speed well i guess i can drive that speed anywhere i want and if i have an accident it's really the government's fault they said it was okay for me to drive this fast and i i know what you're saying kevin and and just so you know over the years i've probably taken the phone number eight times five to eight times where it says if you're concerned about my driving call this number and and i have reports I have reported to the company that they needed to follow through and evaluate uh, this person who was representing their brand on the road. But that I can say uh, that we cause far more hassles and stress as as passenger cars to the truckers than most of the time they cause to us. Yeah, I, I agree with so, that, Dad, and that's just pure. That's just a pure numbers thing. And I do agree that the commercial driver should be the professional driver. He should be better. And that's my point. We should also hold them to a better standard. And I I try as much as I can. uh, And I take a lot of heat from it. People think, well, I should just defend the truck driver no matter what. Oh, hell no. That's never going to happen. I'll defend him when it makes sense. I'll be the first one to call him out and criticize him when that also makes sense. And most drivers my age who have been in the industry as long as I have would agree that like a lot of things in our country, the quality of our commercial drivers is horrendous compared to what it was 30 years ago. Well, I think there's plenty of challenges, but in in closing off today, Kevin, I'd be remiss if I didn't thank all of the hundreds and hundreds of your listeners who are uh, purchasing Cardio Miracle from your store uh, it enables us to continue to fight for the liberties of our country and to continue to pro- provide for the health and well-being of people who are choosing to support their immune system and to hopefully take better care of themselves. So on behalf of Stanford and myself and the Cardio Miracle family, thank you so much for those of you who are uh, supporting Kevin and Lisa's great work uh, through uh, utilizing our, our breakthrough product and 
just know that we're always available to answer questions and to be able to support you in your quest for uh, maximizing your life expectancy and your quality of life. Excellent. Well said. Stanford, any final words? Boy, how can I add to that? <laughs> Kevin, thank you for the opportunity to, thanks for the opportunity to be with you and, and really try to providing us an opportunity to contribute. You know, that's what it, it, this all comes down to. And having a better life is doing those, doing those things, but it really makes life more sacred. So we really appreciate your invitation and the opportunity to contribute. Well, thank well, you. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, you know, I'm kind of honored to have you too, because like you mentioned earlier, Stanford, you're not just complaining. You're talking about things, you're finding solutions, you're standing up and fighting uh, in, in lots of ways. And we'll, we'll talk about it more, but uh, it's a big part of why I wanted you two to join me on this. And uh, uh, we obviously have a lot to say. Uh, we're at an hour and a half. I didn't even get to uh, a tenth of my notes, so I have plenty of material for next week. Um, you know, I have another show I, I do on Fridays with two other co-hosts, and, and having co-hosts for me is, is new. Fifteen years on the air, I've done all my shows myself. For a long time, I didn't even really have guests, or if I did, they were pretty rare. Um, so when it, when I have other great minds involved i like to challenge them a little bit so i our our other group we we tend to focus on new trucking technology and efficiency fuel mileage the two guys i have are absolutely brilliant on that topic but brilliant minds intrigue me and rather than just stick to the topic completely I like to kind of challenge people. So I, I told them the rule on, on our Friday show is each one of us, and I, I include myself on Fridays, we have to at least bring one topic that we've never talked about before. Now we can tie it into that whole trucking technology efficiency thing if you want, or just go go off the reservation and bring up anything you want. You know, basket weaving in Mongolia. If you can make it interesting, then, then bring it. Um, I want to do the same for this show. I, I think, you know, you two have, have brilliant minds in many ways, and uh, we should stretch and push a little bit. So at the beginning of this show, even if it's not a major thing, um, we all need to bring one idea that we've never talked about before. What do you think? Love it. Great. Stan- Love Stanford can bring basket weaving in Jerusalem to us. There you go. <laughs> Well, great being with you, Kevin. John, great to be with you. All right. Thanks, guys. We're going to wrap this up. I will see you back here tomorrow for Destination Health and also after hours with Kevin and Lauren. So we'll see you then. Be safe. Be profitable. Be fit and healthy. Always do the hard work and master the journey. We'll see you tomorrow.